0: Man, good morning. Welcome to the science fiction type year of 2020. Some of you laugh, but like I remember as a kid, I've tried to, we've tried to tell this to our kids that, uh, man, 2020 was the year that every sci-fi movie was about when we were kids. Like in the year 2020, cars will be flying. People will no longer have legs because they won't need them. You know, that's terrible. But I mean, sci-fi was really funny right back then. Blade Runner was, man, it was creepy as a kid. But anyway, um, really glad to be back. I'm 10 years younger this morning, apparently, is what I've heard. I shaved my beard off for the first time in a couple of years. Um, I found another chin under there. Um, I think that happens when you're 40, and so I will not be shaving my beard off again, um, ever. Uh, At least, you know, ever. And so, yeah, that's me. But we're really glad to be here. Last week, um, I heard it was a great time and a good week of worship. Um, And it made, like, every time that we go away, like, it makes me miss... Uh, this family, like, so much. Like, I love my family, and Abby's family in Kentucky. They're my family by law and by grace. Um, I love that, and, you know, but, man, I miss, I miss this family so much. Like, there were so many people last week that I just, I wanted to see. And so, um, I don't know if that's a blessing for you or not, to know that you were missed by this guy, but you were missed. Um, and if I haven't met you, my name is Matthew, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, the intent, at the beginning of this year, I'll tell you, was to start a series called Who We Are. And uh, we do it every couple of years, just talking about like who we are as a church, where God has us, what he has us doing, just as kind of a refresher. Um, But next week, kind of happened a couple weeks ago, we scheduled a joint worship service with Pendleton Street Church, who's going to be here with us next week, which is always fun because they bring up our average age by about 25 years, um, which is great, and we love that. So be here for that, um, and and that'll be fun. And Marty Price is their pastor, and uh, he and I will be tag-teaming the message next week, and we're just going to talk about... Like who the church is? like what does it mean in Scripture when it says the church? Um, even in kind of getting ready for that, like I realize that there are things that I say that probably a lot of us don't know what I'm talking about because I know it's great and I love this and I celebrate this that a lot of you did not grow up in the church and, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that uh, you're a new believer in Jesus. that is awesome and I celebrate that every day. but when we say things like the big C church and the little C church, I think a lot of you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so next week we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about, like, biblically, why we partner with other little C churches to be the big C church. And we're going to talk about what that looks like for us and why we do that. And So be here for that next week. Um, And then I'm trying to get through a couple things before we jump in so that we don't interrupt the rest of everything today. Uh, Community groups will relaunch the week of the 19th. Um, If you've been in a community group and you're itching to get back in, the week of the 19th, we'll kick those back off, which is two weeks from today. Right, So we'll do that. We have groups that go Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Find one if you're not in one. Um, and they're kind of all over the map now, literally. And so find one of those. And uh, hopefully everybody's looking forward to being back in those. Um, one more announcement. Man Up is February the 1st. That's a man day that we do with a couple other churches. And it is, man, it is like the south um, on a plate. It, I mean, it, we go out to a field and we blow stuff up and we eat lots of food and we hear from somebody whose life has been changed by Jesus, and there's, there's gunpowder, there's explosions, uh, generally there's barbecue and smoked pig, there's all those things. Everything that you put on a plate and you call it man, uh, that's that day. Uh, there'll be more information coming out about that. If you want to go, we'd love to have you. It's a fun day, and uh, man, it's just, it's good. I've seen a lot of people come through Origins and go to that, and they're like, man, where am I? And I'm like, man, you're in South Carolina. <laughs> Welcome. So anyway, today, man, I'm, I'm not a big... I'm not a big New Year's resolutions person. Abby and I had this conversation this week, and it was borderline like an argument. Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a resolutions person, but I am a goals person. Like, I like goals, and I just don't call them resolutions, because resolutions to me most of the time have something attached to them that says I will do this emphatically or I will not do this emphatically. And most of the time there's no, there's no wiggle room, there's no on ramp, there's no off ramp, there's just failure. And so I like goals. You know, goals, there's a target in mind, there's a place that we want to land, um, and it just kind of, you know, there's, there's processes to get there. And so today, like looking forward to 2020, um, I want to give us just like one overarching goal for the year. As a church, as Christ followers, just, just one goal. And to get there, we're going to look in John chapter 13, uh, which is really appropriate today since we're also, it's the first Sunday of the month and we do communion or the Lord's Supper, which we'll do at the conclusion of the message. Um, and it's interesting because this passage John doesn't talk about it specifically, we're going to be in John 13, Um, but the other, the synoptic gospels, they do, they go into details that during this phase right here that we're going to talk about is Jesus instituted, or started, or had the very first Lord's Supper, so to speak. And so when it talks about them having a meal, that's what it's talking about here. Uh, They are celebrating the Passover. Um, chronologically, we don't know if this was actually the night before Passover or the day of Passover, but either way, we know that Jesus intended to get together with his 12 and to celebrate Passover here, to have their Passover meal, their Passover feast. Um, and in this, it was kind of marking the beginning of like Jesus's last lessons, like the last things that he was really going to teach verbally, and he was even going to do like a physical parable right here. I mean, he was going to act out almost a parable instead of speak it. And this kind of marked the beginning, right before he would be arrested and crucified, and the mock trial and all of that stuff that would lead to our salvation, um, right before that would start, this was kind of the beginning of those lessons. And he intended to do it here, sitting down. And it's a beautiful passage, and there's, I think we could spend about four weeks here. I'm going to try to do it in a day. And so, if you know me at all and my ADD pinball brain, you know that's going to be a challenge, but we're going we're to do it the best that we can. My wife's smiling because she knows I've got problems, but that's okay. I'm going to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to intervene to help me stay focused on just, man, just the one idea that we're looking at today, and then we're going to jump in. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the peace that only you can bring. Uh, we thank you for uh, just giving us life that is by grace through faith and only through you. God, as we look ahead at 2020 and as we look um, at who you are and who you've made us to be, God, I pray that we can, we can set a goal that will change lives, that we can set a goal that starts with you, that is continued through your spirit in us, and it works itself out in the things that we say and do and how we respond, God, and it could, it could change lives. Um, God, I, I thank you for making us the way that you have. I thank you for calling us the way that you have, and I thank you for putting us where you have. Um, God, today as we look at your word, I pray that it's faithful to do um, what you say that it will, that it can make us look more like Jesus, and I, I pray for that to happen. We love you, and it's in your name we pray, amen. So John 13, verse 1, we'll start, read a couple verses and uh, talk about it and continue. Chapter, chapter 13, verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And we'll pause right there. So they, they sit down. They have uh, the Lord's Supper or their Passover feast. The way that we do it is the bread and the juice, the bread and the wine or the juice from the vine. Um, and, and in the other Gospels, the way it talks about, he, he gives the illustration or the direction. He says, when you do this, uh, when you take the bread, think of my body that's going to be broken for you. And when you drink the juice, think of my blood that's going to be poured out for you. And every time you do it, two things. One, do it together. And two, remember me. Just those two simple things. And, and we know a couple things if we read the other Gospels. We know that somewhere in there, uh, the disciples also had an argument. Um, either it was before they walked in or in between a couple things that happened in there. We know that they had an argument talking about among them, who was the greatest. They wanted to know who was the best. Is it John, the one that Jesus said whom he loved? Was it Peter, the one who spoke brashly, quickly, and, and Jesus had to rebuke frequently, but he also called Jesus the Christ. He knew stuff. Uh, was, it, was it any of these other guys? Um, who was it? But anyway, at some point, it was like, who is the greatest? And so they have this meal, and then in the midst of it, or kind of towards the tail end of it, we see Jesus do something just out of the ordinary, very strange, because Jesus was set up as the teacher, the rabbi of these 12. Um, he had position. He had authority. People would call him rabbi or raboni, which was like capital M, Master. He was above these 12, and there were certain things that a master or a teacher never did. But in the midst of all of this, after the argument, after the Lord's Supper, which he told him, every time that you take of this bread, remember my body that will be broken for you. Every time you drink of this, this juice or this vine, fruit from the vine, remember my blood that will be spilled out from you. At some point in there, it says that he, he stood up from the table, took off his robe, and wrapped a towel around his waist. It's a struggle for me. Like reading through this, if we read through it quickly, it doesn't even hit. But if we stop and think for a minute, like Jesus became a slave in the midst of the 12, like that. That's what he did. He took off his robe, which was a symbol of his authority. Remember the the nameless woman? She said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, if I just touch his robe, the rabbi's robe, I'll be healed. That thing that that showed his authority and his power, it probably wasn't even that pretty, but it was his. He took it off. And then it says he took a towel, he wrapped it around his waist. This would be reserved for like the lowest of the low in the household. Not a member of the family. Probably not even someone that was paid money. They were working off a debt to the family so that they could be free. They were a dual loss, a bond servant. And Jesus did it in the midst of his students didn't say a word didn't introduce himself didn't say i'm going to teach you a lesson just says that he got up from the table and by the way this table it wouldn't have been like one of our beautiful tables it would have been more like a long coffee table or a u-shaped coffee table where the person of honor would have sat like at the peak of the u and then the people based on importance they would have sat around but they wouldn't sit they would sit on their left side with their left hand on the ground and their feet would be behind them they would sit on a pillow, so it says that they were reclining. They weren't leaning back in a lazy boy. No, they were sitting on their hips with their dirty feet behind them. Because most of the time when they would walk into a supper like this, this servant, this doulas, would be waiting for them at the door, and they would wash their feet. Why? Because their feet were nasty. They had been walking in sandals, not in their Jordans or anything like that, but just nasty, nasty feet. And a doulas, or a servant, would wash their feet. But they didn't do it this time. So they're sitting there all around this U-shaped table. And it says that Jesus stands up, takes off his robe, And then he takes on the form of a servant in the midst of them. And I know the disciples were perplexed at this point, but they probably didn't even see it when he first did it. Because they were probably still bickering about this idea of who's the greatest. Am I the greatest? Are you the greatest? Who's the greatest? I don't know. Ali, he's the greatest, but he wasn't around back then. But anyway, like who's the greatest? And it says that Jesus just got up, took off his robe, Wrapped a towel around his waist. And within seconds, the greatest in the room became the least. And so then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet or are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered and he said, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, he said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that is why he said, not all of you are clean. So he goes around with his towel around his waist and he actually has to, to kneel, to stoop. Like, I mean, you gotta get the picture. I mean, the whole picture. Like, really, the, the whole picture of all of this, like King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the one that had been waited for, the Messiah that had been prophesied about, the one that the people were clamoring for. And he's the one that wraps a towel around his waist and gets down on his hands and his knees behind the disciples and begins to wash their feet. That's crazy, right? That's crazy. And just like 30 years previous, we had seen this craziness before, right? We had seen this craziness already. We've talked about it for the past couple of weeks. This King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Messiah, God with skin on, came and he was born in a pile of hay. So Jesus had made a habit of doing this. And at this stage, like, he gets down on his hands and knees and he goes one by one. Just washing their feet. And this is just like minuscule, but he has a towel wrapped around his waist. Imagine that towel when he was done. Imagine that basin of water when he was done. Filthy. But Peter looks at him, he's like, Jesus, not me. You're not going to wash my feet, are you? He says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no place with me. Imagine the difference if Jesus would have said, you know what, Peter, Go wash your own feet. How would that have changed things for us? I don't even know that... It's it's hard for me to wrap my mind around the fact that Jesus, the King of glory, came to wash my feet. Came to bear my dirt on His towel came to fill up his perfect basin with my filth. But he told Peter, he's like, if I don't, you have no place with me. I think a couple things before we even move forward. I think we need to be incredibly glad that Jesus didn't tell the disciples to wash their feet before they came in. I think we need to rejoice at the fact that he didn't tell them that. Because if he did, there'd be no hope for me, none for you, no chance. See, in this moment, we can see the gospel portraying itself in such beautiful fashion. Jesus letting us know we can't clean up our own mess. Only he can. And here's the other thing. As much as Peter fought it, he had to let him. He had to let Jesus. Jesus clean up his mess. I think if we look at the heart of the gospel and what it says, um, I think we should be offended to a degree, maybe to a big degree, that in Jesus' proclamation that he is the son of God and he is the perfect and spotless lamb, that he is the only one that can take away the sins of the world. I think it should offend me a little bit that he's telling me that I'm not good enough to fix myself but I think it should be incredibly liberating to hear the same exact phrase just from a different perspective to know that I don't have to. It's not my job to fix myself. I don't have a towel big enough to take away my garbage. I don't have a basin big enough to wash away my mess, but only Jesus does. So he stands up from the table. He takes on the form physically of a bondservant. He goes around. He begins to wash demonstrating the gospel. Peter fought it. He did all of those things, and, and Jesus just reminded him, if I don't do this, you have no place with me. So like the question we asked the day before Christmas, has, has Jesus like changed your life? Is your life different because of Jesus? The question here sits as to, are you willing to let Jesus change your life? Not just is your life different, but like in you, in me, are we really, are we really willing to let Jesus Change our life. Let him clean our mess. Let him take our burden, our blame, our junk. Jesus initiated the cleansing, but Peter had to accept it. Jesus initiated the cleansing, but Peter had to accept it. In verse 12, he says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place. He sat back down at the table. and He said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? kind of doubt that any of them really did at this point. I think that's why he did it, because he was. He was acting out a parable. He could have told the story. He could have said there was once a servant and he had, there was once a master and he had 12 servants. One day at dinner, he stood up and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water in a bowl and he washed all of their feet. What was the lesson they should have learned? He could have said that, but he didn't. He like, acted out the parable like he showed them that the master must serve, and if he doesn't serve, the servants will never know him. They will never be known by him. And he looks at him. he's like, do you understand what I've just done? Do you get it? We don't see them speaking up because I think a lot of them are probably like, what in the world has just happened? The day that we think we understand the gospel is the day that we know nothing. I mean, we can, we can verbalize it, yes, but like if we actually understand, like, I mean, it's crazy because these guys have been walking with him for, for two to three years. They should have understood, but they're sitting there and they're, they're like, I, I don't know. He says, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, which is really truly, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is his messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so now he's like, I've shown you the gospel, but I'm also showing you a better way. I haven't just shown you who I am and what you must do and how you must think towards me, but I'm also showing you how you need to be what you need to do, how you need to think. Jesus was a far better multitasker than I will ever be. Most men are not very good multitaskers. Apparently, Jesus was the perfect Adam because he was a great multitasker. Um, He was showing them the gospel, but he was also teaching them this huge lesson as to what their life as disciples, as a result of them choosing to follow him, what it should look like. And he said, by the way, your life, your life should look like the life of a servant. A servant. In this particular case, doulos, like bond servant, someone who is uh, willingly working off a debt so that they may be free. We live in an interesting time that tells us that the goal is to get ours, to have mine, to take care of my stuff. Jesus says, by the way, if you come and follow me, you're going to be taking care of other people's stuff. You're going to be about their life, about their interests, about their heart. How does that compare? I mean, is that even close to the bill of goods that we've been sold as to what Christianity looks like? Because a lot of times, Christianity is sold as, uh, come to me and I will give you exactly everything that you want. But I don't think anybody really says, come, you know, I want to follow Jesus so that I can serve everyone but me. But he's giving them a clear picture that the gospel says, I will fix you because you can't fix yourself. And then I'm going to call you into a life in which you just get to brilliantly and beautifully serve people. You get to take on the form of a servant and just serve people. And this year, I think here's the goal. we just figure out what it really means to take care of the family incredibly well, it could change the city. Because by the way, Jesus' commandment that he's about to give in just a few verses, he says, a new commandment that I give you, and he's about to lay it out for them, um, it's talking about the one another. He's talking about the people that are in the room with them with the exception of one, but he's going to give them a commandment as to the way that they should love and take care of one another. And he says this in verse 34 and 35. We'll skip down a pretty good bit. There was a bit of a disagreement in between what we just read and this. But at the end of it, he kind of wraps it up with this. He says, in a new commandment I give to you, that you should love one another. That doesn't sound new. That sounds fairly normal, right? That sounds like stuff that he said before, that you should love one another, but here's what makes it new. He says, a new commandment that I give to you, that you should love one another just as I have loved you, and you are to also love one another. And he says in verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I think our best tool, our greatest tool, our biggest tool to let the world know who Jesus is at all times, in all places, in all circumstances, is the way that we love each other. The way that we love each other, it opens doors, it creates curiosity, it does all these things if we just like love one another well. Not like in word, but like in word and heart and deed, like truly love one another. What does that look like? What does it look like? It looks like a man who deserves everything, taking off everything, being found in the form of a servant, getting down on his knees and washing stinky feet exactly the reason he acted out a parable. He said, I want you to have a picture of what it looks like for someone to love you, to do the unthinkable, to do it with humility, to do it with grace, to do it with dignity, to do it with love, to do all of those things and to do it for one another. He says, I want you to remember that. I want you to see that. It's more than just the perfunctory, I'll pray for you, which is great. Like if we really do pray for people, that's great. But when someone's in a hardship, if we just say, hey, I'll pray for you, and we don't do anything, man, we're liars, number one. We're cheapening grace. We're cheapening Jesus. We're not doing anything. But hey, what happens when we say, I'll pray for you, and I'll also bring you a meal? I'll pray for you. I'll also help you pay your bills. I'll pray for you. I'll also help you get a car. I'll pray for you. I'll also help you get a job. I'll pray for you. I'll also let you sleep on my couch. What does that do? Completely different. Because Jesus said, when you love people, you serve them. We're good with being served sometimes, but, but man, it gets really hard when it comes time to serve. And I, I'm speaking from you know, personal experience. Like I view my home as a castle a majority of the time instead of a tool. Like it can be a tool one night a week, but those other six nights, I want it to be my castle. You know? I want to put a moat around it, draw a bridge up at Mine. My couch, I love my couch. Like, I lay on my couch, you know, straight line, like perpendicular to the bottom lines, I mean, parallel to the bottom lines of the couch. Perfect. My feet are out, I'm laying back, I'm watching Netflix. Like, I love it. It's my place. The couch is even ruined because where my booty sits most of the time. Abby will attest to it. we got to fix it. But what would it look like if I gave somebody else my couch? You don't have a place to live right now? Your family? Okay, you got a place to live. What would that look like? I think it would look like Jesus. Actually, I I know it would look like Jesus. So here's 2020. 2020. Like, be intentional to seek ways to serve one another. Be intentional to seek ways. Not to be given ways, uh, not to, to find out about ways, but to seek ways. Find ways. Be intentional. Go after them. Ways to serve one another. Galatians 6.10 even tells us, it says, uh, uh, find great cause or great frequency to do good deeds, uh, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Do that first for family, for those who are following the same Jesus. We're going to talk about what that looks like next week. But for people in the family, not just origins even, but people in the family. My son uses air quotes now. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting stuck on them too. But like the family, find ways to take care of them. Find ways to serve them. Uh, for us, most of the time, it, it usually starts like this. Um, One of two phrases enter our head, and these are opportunities to serve. The first phrase is, man, that must be hard. We hear about somebody's circumstance, and we say, man, that must be hard. That must be difficult. And that's usually where we stop. But what happens if we take it a couple steps further? Like, we hear about a circumstance, we say, man, uh, that must be hard. Next step. Uh, God, how can I help this family? How can I love this family? How can I sacrificially serve this family? And then when God gives us the answer, or if it's immediately clear, like if somebody says, I can't pay my bills, we really don't have to ask God what that looks like for me to serve that family. We find a way to help them pay their bills, right? I mean, that's pretty self explanatory. You know, love most of the time is self explanatory. And then we actually take that step to help them. If we don't have the means to do it, we find someone who does. It's still serving, it's still loving. So, man, that must be hard. Prayer, action. Here's the other phrase. Here's the other phrase that we often overlook as white evangelicals. And I'm not cracking on you, I'm cracking on me. Man, that's amazing. We hear great news, and very often we stop right there. Man, that's amazing. But guess what? We get to serve people through celebration as well. And so the next step there is man, that's amazing. That is great news. Thank you, God, for this great news that, God, you're doing in this person's life, and then we go and we celebrate with them. This week, we have a great opportunity to celebrate with the Philippes, and I'm excited. Lucia's adoption is going to be final. Boom. Huge deal. Big deal. Grand deal. Guess what? We as a family, we celebrate. We stop. We say, thank you, God, for making family where there was not. Thank you, God, that we get to celebrate, and then we celebrate. Welcome to the family. We love you before we even met you. Glad you're here. <laughs> and then you hug her because she's a hugger. And you hug the fleeps because they're huggers too, even Nico. And he's French, which is amazing. We celebrate. Man, that's amazing. Thank you, God, for that. Now how can we celebrate? Maybe you bake a cake. Maybe you buy a cake. Maybe you take them cookies. Either way, Serve. We serve in hardship. We serve in celebration. Hardship, man, it's everywhere. Man, this week I got to take a couple in our church, uh, the biggest pot of chicken soup that I've ever made because they've both been sick as dogs. And, and, and that's, that's just, and I'm not bragging on me. It was my pleasure because here's the other thing too. It's, it's a little bit selfish in nature because when we get to the other end of it, guess what? We've enjoyed it. We've enjoyed getting to do this. We've enjoyed getting to serve people. Now, there will be days There will be days like if you're literally washing feet, you're not going to enjoy that very much. I knew my wife was a servant Um, early on in our marriage because my wife hates feet. She does. She hates feet. If you ever want to just take my wife off, take your shoe off, and put it on her leg, she's gone. She's out. She'll throw (laughs) up. She'll throw up right now. But my sweet grandmother, early on in our marriage, we may not have even been married yet. I can't remember. It was either right before or after we got married. She asked Abby to cut her toenails. I know, I know. Abby can't even hear it right now. But you know what my wife did? My wife did it. I think she even painted them. Man, some days it's not going to be pleasant. It doesn't change that we, and here's the word, here's the word, and nobody likes this. We have to. We get to, but we have to. Because, by the way, this, none of this was a suggestion on Jesus' part. This was a commandment. He said, a new commandment I give you. As a master to his disciples, I am telling you what to do. Just like we don't like being told that we can't fix ourselves, we don't like being told that we have to do something. But Jesus here is very clear. He says, you have to do this. Why? Because there's more at stake than you. There's more at stake than me. He says, a new commandment I give you. Uh, that, that you shall love one another, as I has loved you, as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love, love that acts, love that does, love that serves for one another. What's at stake? A world that needs to see Jesus. A world that see, needs to see Jesus. And they will see it. they will see Him in the way that we love each other. They will. I love scripture that gives us like promises of if you do this, then that, or if then statements. He says, if you love one another, the world will know who you are. They will see me in you in the way that you love each other. The reason he says you must is because a dying world without Jesus is depending on us loving each other like him. Man, this year, seek opportunities to serve one another. The second part of that is uh, remember Jesus' example, the same way that this image that they had was going to be burned into their brain for the rest of their lives. Most of them died horrible deaths, and I, I, I would like to think that they could remember this all the way to the end. The master taking off his robe, wrapping a towel around his waist, and becoming a servant in the midst of his disciples. And then seeing that servant march through the cross, hang on the cross, die on the cross, and kick death in the teeth. People will remember. People will see Jesus if we follow his example. They'll see it. Remember Jesus' example. Remember that it was humble. Remember that it wasn't about him. And remember the grace by which he did it. He didn't announce himself. He didn't ask for recognition. He just did it. In the words of Dabo, he went all in. (laughs) Well before Dabo did. I think the third thing is this. when Maybe you're on the receiving end. Maybe you're on the receiving end of someone serving you. Accept it. Take it. Because that's living out the gospel too by the way the same way in which Jesus told Peter who fought it he said by the way if you don't let me do this you have no place with me accept it accept the grace that's being extended to you through family by Jesus when someone tries to serve you and I know that's hard because our pride says no 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 I got it I got this but there are times when, our, when we just don't there are a lot of times when we just don't Man, I remember when we were living in Columbia. Like, uh, we, uh, I, I was sick. Like, I, I don't know if I had the flu or what, but, you know, I had one of these jobs where if you don't work, you don't get paid, you know, one of those things. And, and I didn't get, to, I had to miss work for like a week and a half. And we were at a place where we were like, we, we're not going to be able to pay our rent. And somebody from our church showed up with a check. And it would have been incredibly easy for me to say, no, 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 we're good. We don't need that. Maybe Abby answered the door. It was probably better. Somebody just came and said, hey, let us help you. And we paid our rent. Didn't ask us to pay them back. Didn't say, hey, here are the terms of this loan. It was just, we love you, let us help you. Okay. Okay. Accept it. When grace is extended by family because of Jesus, accept it. Here's the last part. None of this will happen if we're not intimately aware of each other's lives. You know, the reason that quantity or community or family comes up so much in Scripture? Because it's integral into this faith. It's integral in following Jesus. We were never called to follow Jesus as individuals. We were called to follow Jesus as a family. Jesus didn't come to redeem a person. He came to redeem a people unto himself, and we must live as a people unto him. And that means that we need to be in each other's business. And you say, well, that's invasive. No, it's family. (laughs) You should come and sit around my immediate family's kitchen table like growing up. Nothing was off limits. And it was awkward at times, but you know what? It was family. I had a great instruction from my parents as to what family looks like. We talked about everything. Good, bad, ugly, improper timing, everything. We talked about it all. Man, family looks like that. That's what we do. It's not that we go and we vomit everything that's going wrong in our life to each other, but we're just honest, we're open, we're real. And it takes time, it takes person-to-person contact, it takes being around the table together, it takes sharing coffee together, it takes playing together, it takes failing together, it takes all of those things. That's life. God called us to live that life. Read Acts chapter 2. They just kind of morphed into it. He says, I've, called to, I've come to redeem a people, and boom, they were people. They didn't go to a workshop. They didn't go to a conference. They, were just, they woke up, and they like, like, oh, we belong to each other the same way we belong to God. Oh, here's my stuff. There's your stuff. Okay, let's share that. Family does that. It's hard in modern society to figure that out, but our best two ways to do that right now, where we are, be here on Sundays, number one, and then be in community group every single week. Those two ways. If you want to be known and you want people to know you and you want to know them, there's there's no substitute for getting together. There's no substitute for being together and sharing life with each other. There's no way you can do it. Texts are great, great. Facebook, social media, great. Man, but being together, no substitute. It's the best way. Sometimes you're going to get involved in awkward people's lives, but that's okay. Awkward people are still family. Sometimes people are going to get involved in your life and you're an awkward person. Again, awkward people are family. It's life, and it's meant to be lived together, together. I think Origins does an amazing job at loving one another, but to say that we couldn't do it better would be a lie. We can. couple things. Be honest about your life. Be honest about struggles be honest about victories, be honest about your life. If people don't know about them, there's no way that people can intercede for you. If people don't know about your victories, there's no way that people can celebrate with you. And we can't be upset when people don't come to our aid when we don't tell them that we need it. We will never be able to read minds. won't happen, no matter how long you've been married. McNamara's, can you read each other's minds? Nope. We'll never be able to read each other's minds man, but we can read each other's words. Share them. Serve, accept, do it like Jesus. Because I'll be honest, there is no other option unless we just want to be disobedient. God, we love you. Thank you for difficult words. Thank you for commandments. God, like today, like seriously, I thank you, God, for commandments. Like not giving me an option. Saying you either do this or you're disobedient. God, I pray as a people, as a family, that you would call us to a life of obedience in which we want to serve each other uh, like you serve us. Love each other the way that you love us, sacrificially, humbly, sometimes embarrassingly. Help us to love one another like that. And God, as a result of that, I pray that you would grow the kingdom that people would ask questions and that you would place in our hearts the answers that only you can give, but you do it through us. I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. And God, I pray that we can celebrate him well. During this next song, we, uh, we're going to enter into a time of communion, same way in which the disciples had just done with Jesus right before he put this huge display on. And, and it, was, it was as simple as this. He said, look, when you're together... And you take of this bread, remember my body that was broken for you. It was broken. They would see it in just a couple of days. Remember my body that was broken. So remember Jesus. He laid down his body for us. And he said, when you take the juice, uh, remember my blood that was spilled for you. Remember that bowl, like in this place and in this time. Remember that basin that Jesus took. And he washed the disciples' feet and what it must have looked like at the end. It would have been filthy. Man, Jesus' is perfect blood, it took on all of our filth all of our filth so that we could just know God. There are only a couple qualifications in scripture for those who can take uh, communion. You don't have to be a member or a covenant member of origins uh, but you have to be an admitted confessed follower of Jesus. You've trusted him with your your nasty basin of sin and you said I've chosen you over that and you have trusted that Jesus and only Jesus can do that. You're a professing Christ follower. But number two Uh, you're in good standing with Jesus. Like, there's not, like, rampant sin or sin that's just sitting on you that you're unwilling to confess. Um, And if there is, here's the solution. You do that before you go back and take communion. You say, God, here's the stuff. Uh, This is sin. This is what I've been doing. I don't want to do it anymore. Here it is. Uh, Thank you for your forgiveness. Help me to stay away from it. It's that simple. Um, And then when you're ready, uh, you can just walk up and get a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. Um, And then you can take it however you want. You can come back to your seat. You can do it with your spouse. You can uh, can take it with anybody else that you want in here. But just, man, when we do, we remember Jesus, remember the price that he paid, and we remember the victory that that gives us. And then we look forward to the fact that he's coming back, and he's going to take those two definitions of peace that we talked about last month, and he's going to make them one, and it's going to be good. God, as we take communion as a family, I pray that we would remember you. We would remember your life, your death your resurrection, um, and God, that we'd be grateful for it. If there is sin that needs to be dealt with now, Father, I pray that you would direct through your spirit, God, to confess, uh, to repent, to leave that behind. And God, I pray that you would even move in that person or those people to confess it to someone else so that other people could pray for them, love them, serve them through intercession. Um, And God, thank you that you've granted us a family to love, to serve, and to worship with. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen. So at any time during the song, if you want to stand up and take communion, you can. If you want to stand up and worship first, you can. Total freedom on how you do that and when you do that. Thank you guys for being here today. Um, when this song's over, we'll, we'll be dismissed.